Well, good morning once again, um, and welcome to our virtual service. We are continuing looking at the Word of God in First John, and today we are in John chapter 2. The title of today's sermon will be Enduring to the End. Enduring to the End, and we'll be looking at John chapter 2. But before we begin... Uh, with reading the Word of God and going through the message, let us open up in the Word of Prayer. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, our, our, our Lord and God, we draw near to you this morning. We thank you, Father, that you are a God who speaks, who speaks clearly in your Word, who reveals his will to his children. And as we know your will, O oh God, may we be consumed by a desire to walk in it. May we be consumed by a desire to know you, to love you, to walk with you, to obey your word. Bless this time together as we draw near to you to look into your word. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. Recently, I have started to, to run. Um, I've, I've taken that as a way of exercising. Uh, but I haven't as yet come to a point of enjoying the experience. It, 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 to some extent, it is exhilarating to know that you know I've ran a couple of kilometers that I know I used to think were impossible to, to run. It's a difficult thing to undertake. The, the first day is hard. The next day when you wake up, your muscles are stiff and you don't want to go on. But you go on, right? You go on and you keep stopping on the way because your body can't take it anymore but you keep pushing yourself the third day it gets easier and so on it gets easier and easier as you go what i've noticed um from you know my 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 past experiences with running and my current experiences and also observing um other people who've made running their lifestyle one thing that distinguishes Someone who quits running and someone who continues is one word, endurance. Endurance. The, the, the endurance makes a difference, pushing yourself even when you don't feel like it. In Mike McKinley's book, Am I Really a Christian? He uses a similar illustration about physical endurance. And then he goes on to say in the book, the Bible talks about another kind of endurance. And this type of endurance is far more important. It is spiritual endurance. He continues to say, a true Christian must and will remain until the end. When you look at Matthew chapter 10 verse 22, Matthew chapter 10 verse 22 it makes this very plain. 
It says the one who endures to the end will be saved. And in the words of D.A. Carson, true faith by definition perseveres. There are many people who have started in the Christian faith, but who have not persevered in the Christian faith. They grew up in the church, but they have since left the church. As I say this, there's probably someone that you are thinking about right now. And that person may be very dear to you. Some have left the church with a bang. They have been very vocal about leaving the church. There are many block sites hosted by such vocal, hostile ex-Christians. These people not only left the faith, but they seem intent on trying to drag as many people as they can away with them. But most have left the church much more quietly. Maybe they were banned or hurt by the church. Maybe they wanted to live a lifestyle that was contrary to the gospel. Maybe they stopped believing the central truths of the gospel. Whatever the cause, the fact remains. Many started in the faith, but they are not enduring in the faith. Uh, This is not a new phenomenon. In the history of the church, there have always been people who have defected, who have left the church. In Jesus' day, we see many who started to follow, but then they fall away. Paul names a number of his associates that fall away when you look at First Timothy. And I think Second Timothy as well, he mentions others. And the same was true of the community that John was writing to. Turn your Bibles to First John chapter 2, verse 18 to verse 27. We've been studying First John for a number of weeks, asking the question, am I really a Christian? And we've learned there are certain tests to help us examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. We saw the theological test. The theological test is asked the question, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? We saw the moral test. The moral test asks the question, is your faith in Christ accompanied by a transformed life? And we saw the social test. The social test asks the question, is your faith in Christ accompanied by a transformed love for other believers? But this morning we see that there is another test. This test qualifies all other tests. Do you endure? Do you endure in believing in Christ? Do you endure in your transformed life? Do you endure in your transformed love for other believers? Do you remain in Christ all the way until the end? That's how you know if you're really a Christian. Faith, by definition, perseveres. First John chapter 2, verse 18 to 27 I read from the ESV, this is what the Word of God says. Children, in the last hour, as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. 
But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If you heard from the beginning, if what, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that, 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 that He made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is in no, it's, it's no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. This is the word of God. When you look at this, this, this verses that we just read, there are two commands found in this passage. But the main one that is found is at the very end of this passage. Everything in the passage is moving towards this main Command, abide in him. Abide in him. That is abide in Christ. Or in other words, continue to remain in Christ. Endure until the end. My someone in one sentence is that you'll know you're a Christian if you remain in Christ till the end. There's the reformers say it is the perseverance of the saints. The perseverance of the saints. Now this is the point John wants us to get across to his readers. This is the point God wants to get across to us this morning. And there are two questions related to this command that are answered in this passage. And here are the questions. The first question is, why is this command needed? Why is this command needed? Secondly, how do we fulfill this command? I'd like to spend the rest of our time this morning answering these two questions. The first question, why is this command important? Why is this command needed? This is the answer. Some don't remain in Christ. Therefore, we must be aware. Some don't remain in Christ, therefore we must be aware. First, why is this command needed? It's needed because you can't assume people will continue to embrace the Christian faith till the end. The, the command to abide is accompanied by a warning here. Some don't remain in Christ, therefore we must be aware. Instead of remaining in Christ, some deny Christ, deceive others, and defect from the church. Let's look at each of these. First of all, some deny Christ. Look at verse 18. It, it is the last hour. 
what this means is we live between the first and coming of Christ. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, he says, Children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. In other words, the Antichrist is coming. The Antichrist is a political figure that will be raised up right before Christ returns to oppose and uh, to oppose Christ and his people and to deceive the nations. But before the end times and the coming of the Antichrist, there will be many Antichrists. These Antichrists are forerunners to the Antichrist. These are people who deny that Jesus is the Christ, as verse 22 says. More specifically, these Antichrists deny that Jesus came in the flesh, as chapter, two, chapter 4, verse 2 says. To abide in Christ is to abide in a very specific belief about Christ. That is, he is the eternal son of God who became a man to save his people from their sins. Antichrist deny the central truth of the gospel. But you can't deny the central truth of the gospel if you are saved. As we said in the second week of this series, if Jesus isn't God, he is not able to save us from our sins. And if Jesus is not a man, he is unqualified to save us from our sins. You see, if you don't pass this theological test, you aren't saved. If you don't abide in Christ of the Bible, you aren't a Christian. To deny Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who came in the flesh, is to deny that is to deny the Father and the Son altogether, as we see in verse twenty-two. And those who deny Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, don't have the Father, as verse twenty-three says. That is, they do not have a relationship with God; they are not Christians. Period. There were people in John's day that used to be in the church and claimed to believe the central truth of the gospel. But now they deny it. They, they don't abide in Christ. The, the, the same is true in our day. People deny the central truth of the, pers- the person of Christ. Secondly, what we see here is that some deceive others. So we see, first of all, that some deny Christ. Secondly, some deceive others. But not only do these anti-Christ deny Jesus as a Christ, but they also try to deceive others. When you look at verse 26, as it tells us that they are trying to deceive you. They are trying to get others to follow them in the lies they've come to believe. We, we, we live in perilous times. We, if you haven't encountered people who are hostile to Christ, you will. They are found in many of your schools, in, in the workplace, in the media, and in some of the fastest growing religions in the world, like Islam, Mormonism, the Jehovah's Witnesses. In terms of the South African context, you think about ZCC. 
You think about Shembe. These are people who deny Christ and call others to deny the true Christ. As I said when I introduced this uh, series, that it is like someone who has the coronavirus, knowingly has the coronavirus, and they knowingly go to people with the intent of infecting them. They are not only denying Christ for themselves, but they are calling others to deny Christ. Some of these antichrists will show up right in your front door from time to time, well-dressed, ready to convince you to deny Christ. They'll ask you to talk about Jesus, but the Jesus they want to talk with you about is not the Jesus of the gospel. He's not fully God and fully man. And that Jesus is not able to save you from your sins. There are others who are less obvious in their views of Jesus. They want to talk to you about a Jesus who is a good teacher, <coughs> excuse me, and a, and a great example, but not a Jesus who is the Son of God who came to die for our sins. John wants his readers to know that those who deny the central truth of the gospel are not saved. He wants them to know that there are many people like this in the world who want to deceive you. He says, beware of them. Not only some, uh, do some deceive others, but thirdly, some defect from the church. They defect from the church. They, 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 they may start out in evangelical churches, but they don't stay in evangelical churches. Eventually they leave. Look at verse 19. John says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all, they all are not of us. This is a very interesting connection being drawn here between being really a Christian and being in a gospel-centered church. Well, when people leave churches that believe the gospel, John seems to be saying they do so because they never really believed the gospel. Now, John is not saying that a person can lose their salvation. He's saying that if a person truly believes the gospel in the first place, they will continue to believe that gospel till the end, and they will stay in a church that believes that gospel. There's a connection between remaining in Christ and remaining in the church. Our text this morning is meant to encourage those of us who haven't denied Christ, who haven't deceived others, and who haven't defected. Those of us who have the promise of eternal life, as verse 25 says, but I know this is a really difficult topic for a number of you because you have loved ones who have denied the gospel and have left the church. 
You may even have loved ones who are involved in deceiving others with lies. In light of what we've learned so far this morning, what should you do? Well, first of all, let me suggest what you shouldn't do. First of all, don't blame yourself. As we'll see, true faith in the gospel comes as a gift of God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we can make our loved ones believe. They may have rejected the gospel, but you have not rejected it for them. They may have left the church, but you're not ultimately responsible for their defection. Secondly, don't bank on a past profession of faith. While we can't see somebody's heart, while we can't look into somebody's heart, we can see external evidence of faith. A person may be saved without clear evidence of salvation, but we can't have assurance of salvation without evidence. If your loved, if your loved one is showing no signs of saving faith, you shouldn't assume they have saving faith. Instead, you ought to urge them to repent and believe the gospel. That is one way of, to salvation. And the only way to have assurance of salvation is by continuing to believe the biblical gospel. If your loved one claims to believe the gospel, but you're not sure, simply continue to put them to Christ, to point them to Christ, and ask them to continue in the gospel. Also, urge them to connect with a church that makes the gospel central in all it does and teaches. In all of this, the, the most important thing you can do is pray for them. The, the Holy Spirit is the one who grants belief in the truth. The Holy Spirit is the one who teaches all knowledge, as verse 20 says. Therefore, pray for them to do uh, pray for God to do his work with his word in their hearts. We've seen why we need this command to abide in Christ. There are some people who don't remain in Christ. They, are, they dis- deny, deceive, and defect. Therefore, we must be warned. But our passage not only one, wants to warn us, but it also wants to encourage us. Let's now look at that encouragement here. And in this encouragement, we answer the question, how do we fulfill this command? We saw, first of all, why the command is needed. Secondly, how do we fulfill this command? And here's the answer, the simple answer that you need to bank on. Continue to believe the gospel. Continue to believe the gospel. How do you abide in Christ? Quite simply, you continue to believe the gospel. As verse 24 says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Well, what he's speaking of here 
is the gospel. He lays out the gospel in other parts of the letter, that the love of God was made manifest among us. God sent his only son into the world in the flesh so that he, may, he might live through him. We, we might live through him. Chapter 4 verse 9. Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Chapter 2 verse 2. This is the message they heard from the beginning. And the Holy Spirit made this message come alive in their hearts. In verse 20, we are told that true believers have been anointed by the Holy One and we have all knowledge. This is speaking of the anointing of the Holy Spirit by Christ. This is speaking of what the Holy Spirit has done through Christ. And verse 27 says, The Holy Spirit teaches you about everything um, about everything and is true and is no lie. What this means is the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of our heart when we hear the gospel and shows us the true, the truth of the gospel. For example, the Holy Spirit teaches us that we are sinners. Remember what we've learned in chapter 1? We, if we say we have no sin and deceive, we, see, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But the Holy Spirit, who teaches us the truth, teaches us that we are sinners and in need of a Savior. And the Holy Spirit teaches us that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, and therefore wholly able to save us from our sins. When we believed in the gospel, it was because the Holy Spirit taught us the truth. God himself is not only the source of our salvation, God also gives us faith to, to believe the gospel of salvation. And therefore, we don't need a different teaching. In verse 20, 27, um, it, 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 we, 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 we are shown clearly that fact that we don't need any other teaching. The gospel we heard and believed by the Holy Spirit is sufficient for salvation. We need to continue to believe this gospel till the end. That's how we abide in Christ. When I think of this truth taught um, taught in 1 John, I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1 and 2 where Paul reminds the Corinthians of the gospel because there were some who were denying a central tenet of the gospel, which is the resurrection of Christ, and indeed to deny the, any part of the gospel is to do away with the gospel. To deny one part of the gospel is at the end of the day not to have a half gospel, but to have no gospel at all. So Paul says to them in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians verse 1 and 2, Now I would remind you, brothers... Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, in, in, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You see, we must hold fast to the gospel until the end. That's how we abide in Christ. But how do we do that more specifically? Well, to give full disclosure, we abide in the gospel in the same way that we believe the gospel. God, who began a good work in us, will carry it out until completion. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. 
God is the one that enables, ultimately enables our perseverance. So, as, as the, the reformers say, that it is perseverance of the saints, but, but the saints persevere because they are pre- being preserved by God. We persevere only be, not because we are holding the hand of God, but because God is holding our hand. This is what we call our perseverance. But we also play a role in God's work. We work out our salvation, don't we? So I want to offer three ways people can abide in the gospel. First of all, this first actually has to do with the way we share the gospel. You can set the stage for others to continue in the gospel by paying close attention to the way you share the gospel. When you share the gospel, you must first remember that it's the anointing of the Holy Spirit that enables belief in the gospel. So as you do evangelism, it's so important to be devoted to prayer throughout the process. Ask God to open people's eyes. You must also make sure that you you, you talk not only about the work of Christ, but also the person of Christ. As we are learning in 1 John, the gospel is connected to who Christ is. Therefore, we must not only share what God has done for us in Christ, we need to tell people who Jesus is, fully God and fully man. If he's not both, He's not able to save us from our sins. Lastly, when you share the gospel, call people to count the cost of believing in Christ. You see, saving faith is a marathon, not a sprint. I think people need to know this up front. True faith by definition perseveres. I love the way John Piper puts it. He says, true Christians are coronary Christians not adrenal Christians. In other words, saving faith is like a heartbeat. It's steady and it just keeps going. It's not a shot of adrenaline where you get an adrenaline for a moment. A shot of adrenaline will get you started, but it won't last. Call people to believe in a heartbeat kind of Christianity. A Christianity that continues and perseveres steadily and steadily in the faith. The second way I'd like to suggest that we abide in the gospel is by marinating in the gospel. By marinating in the gospel. To, to abide in the gospel, we need, to, we, 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 we need regular exposure to the gospel. You, you've heard me say before, it's so important to preach the gospel to yourself daily. We, we need to daily remind ourselves that our standing before a holy God is based on his love and the finished work of Christ, not our work. But how do we do this specifically? We need to read and study the Bible regularly. We need to memorize portions of the Bible regularly, especially portions that speaks of God's grace extended towards us in the gospel. We need to meditate slowly and prayerfully on the gospel. Let it sink in deeply in your heart, changing the way you think, the way you feel, the way you act, etc. And last, 
but certainly not least, we need to make a habit of corporate worship. Although we have not been meeting for a while, it is no excuse that we don't make means of listening to the word. The means that are available, that have been made available by the church, we make use of them because we love the gospel. We want the gospel to transform our lives. We want the gospel to transform how we feel. We want the gospel to transform how we act, how we live our lives. We want the gospel to shape everything about us. It's a way to be reminded why we have God's favor. It's because of the cross of Christ. Is the way to, to marinate ourselves in the gospel. The, the third way I'd like to suggest that we abide in the gospel is to commit to a local church that is committed to the gospel. We, we need the local church. As we see in verse 19, if you believe the gospel, you stay in a, in a gospel-centered church. You will stay in churches with gospel-centered people who will come alongside you and struggle with you. You see, to remain in Christ, we must remain in the gospel. We live in a time when many deny Christ, deceive others, defect from the church, and this isn't very new. And it will be the same until Christ returns. Therefore, we must be aware, because saving faith, in, uh, saving faith is a faith that endures until the end. Athanasius um, And um, I was reading something about Athanasius during the week. Um, when, 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 when I thought about endurance spoken of in this passage, I couldn't help but think of Athanasius. Athanasius was a bishop of Alexandria for 45 years in the 4th century A.D., for 17 of those years, he was exiled for his faith. Why was this a reason? It was because he believed in the incarnation, that Jesus Christ is God become man. He believed Jesus was fully God and fully man. And he believed that those who denied the central truth of the gospel were not Christians and shouldn't be allowed in the church. What's the problem with that? Uh, that seems to be what First John is teaching, isn't it? Well, Athanasius lived during a time when this central truth of the gospel was being attacked throughout the world by a heresy called the Arian heresy. According to one writer, Arius taught that Jesus was created by and not equal to God the Father. The Arians gained political influence and were permitted in the church when Athanasius vigorously objected he was banished from his office he was exiled for a total of uh, five times by four different emperors one time he escaped death by hiding out four months in his father's grave another time he hid in the Egyptian desert for several years from killers paid to murder him 
during the worst years of the future, um, during his worst years, the future looked very bleak for the gospel as Arianism gained upper hand in the church. Yet Athanasius stood firm, and ever since he has been known by the famous Latin epithet, Athanasius contra mundum, meaning Athanasius against the world. In his last years, he was reinstalled as the Bishop of Alexandria, and shortly after his death, the church finally defeated the Arians for good. The question is, what enabled Athanasius to endure in his belief in the gospel in the face of violent opposition? Well, he believed that to abide in Christ, you must abide in the gospel. And that was, was worth enduring suffering. In the second verse of the song, By Faith, we are told the saints in Hebrews 11 were able to endure to the end because they had the power of the promise in their hearts. Or in the words of 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. We are able to abide in the gospel because the gospel that abides in us is powerful. The one who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That's what gave Athanasius endurance during the dark times um, in which he lived. That's what will give us endurance during the dark days in which we live. When a friend of Athanasius came to him and said, Athanasius, stop it with this belief. Everyone is against you. Athanasius looked at him boldly and said to him, Then Athanasius is against the world. Standing on the faith, enduring to the end. And my question to you is, are you really a Christian? You'll know that you're a Christian if you remain in Christ until the end. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. May you grant us the strength to abide in you, to endure amidst all the opposition that we might experience, that we might face, amidst all the trials that we might have to endure, may we continue to persevere in the faith. May we be marked by a faith that perseveres. And may your glory be displayed in our lives. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray.